Physicians dedicate our lives to the care of others, and this often doesn't end when we leave work, but extends to our family and friends, other projects and demands that lead us to overextend ourselves until we feel like butter spread over too much bread. This has become acutely true during this pandemic, so psychiatrist Dr. Demetrios Tsitiris discusses how we can work more self-care into our lives without the guilt. We start by defining self-care, what can happen to us if we forego it for too long, We then go into all of the internal and external obstacles we face to self-care, and he gives ideas for overcoming those obstacles. Dr. Satiris is a board-certified psychiatrist in Cleveland, Ohio, who specializes in the treatment of anxiety and mood disorders. He completed his residency training at University Hospital's Case Medical Center, where he served as chief resident, and he also is certified in psychodynamic psychotherapy from the Cleveland Psychoanalytic Center. When he's not at work, he devotes his time to his wife and two young children— and doesn't neglect his self-care. He can be found on Twitter at at Dr. Demetrios, MD. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee, and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Shopping for disability insurance can be complicated and time-consuming. Wondering if you're getting the best prices and discounts while in training can make the process even more overwhelming. Pattern believes doctors have more important things to do than spending hours sorting through numerous insurance options. This is why thousands of doctors trust Pattern to help them compare and understand the insurances that they are buying. They do this in three simple steps. First, request your quotes online. Second, compare your options and ask questions. And third, apply risk-free. Be confident you have the right policy so that your income is protected. With discounts for doctors and training and some relaxed requirements during the pandemic, Now is truly the best time to request your disability insurance quotes with Pattern at PatternLife.com slash partner slash PGD. Again, that's PatternLife.com slash partner slash PGD for Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Dr. Demetrius Satiris, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Brad, thank you so much for having me. So a couple of episodes ago, we had Robin Simon on the show. She had created this film, Do No Harm, which is about the the prevalence of physician suicide. And the film was made before this pandemic. And we discussed all the pressures that are on physicians and, and what, it, what a huge issue that is. But it's a different environment now. A lot of those issues that were there have now gotten significantly worse. So uh, I was thrilled when you reached out to me to be interviewed on the podcast about ways that we can help cope and, and make it through. So, so first, why was it that you felt the need to, to reach out? Why did you think the, the perspective of a psychiatrist, I think it's fairly apparent, but I'd like to hear it from you, was, was so important for our physician audience? Brad, uh, thank you for having me on again, and thank you for the question. Absolutely. Practicing medicine has been challenging, right? It's a long journey to become a physician. It's a lifelong commitment for us that we decided at a very young age. It comes at a high cost. So pre-COVID, practicing medicine was challenging. Then you add a pandemic on top of that, 
And the challenge of becoming of being a physician has become insurmountable. There are three components that we're dealing with right now. We're ob- observing an increase in abrupt change. We're observing an increase in uncertainty in our lives. And we're dealing with a lot of loss. And you add that triad and it's made the practice of medicine that much harder. And, and so then the question is, what do we do? How do we, uh, like, what's the process for, for coping with, with all of that? right? So as physicians, we generally put everything else before ourselves. And and we've done this from the beginning, right? We've done this from from training, all that delayed gratification. If I just study enough, uh, then I can get into med school. If I just study enough, I can get into the residency of my choice. If I just study enough, I'll be able to get into the fellowship. If I just study enough, I can be, you know, assistant professor. And then it's, it's always, and then, and then for those of us with families, Oh yeah. You get home from work, you give everything to your patients, you get home from work, and then you give everything to your families, and then you go to sleep. Or in my situation, you get home from work, you give everything to your families, then you give everything to your podcast, and then you go to sleep, <laughs> right? So how do we cope when we're spending all of that time just giving? Yes, uh, Brad, you're describing the culture of medicine, which is characterized by... Um, it's a it's a culture which promotes self sacrifice. That's what you're describing. You know what has been promoted in our culture is taking that overnight call, taking that extra shift, going the extra mile, um, taking on that extra uh, course, right? Taking on that extra patient uh, caseload, and um, the antidote to that is starting to engage in self care, making oneself a priority, acknowledging that we have limits and that we're practicing medicine beyond these limits. And if we continue to practice beyond our limits, we really predispose ourselves to mental health difficulties, to depression, to anxiety. And it's important to start to set boundaries with ourselves by saying, hey, I'm practicing beyond my limits and I need to focus a little more on myself and engage in self-care. In my opinion, self-care is not something that has been encouraged by the culture of, uh, of medicine. I don't recall that in my medical training or in my residency training. Do you, Brad? You know what I recall? I recall being on my surgery rotation and them saying, you know what the worst thing about Q2 is? Missing half of the good stuff. Wow. Right? Like, like you should you should want to be in the hospital 24/7 and if you don't there's something wrong with you right that's yes. what that what was that's what was bred into us and yes that was not that was not me that was that was never me you know? So you can imagine, you can imagine that self-care is not natural to physicians. It's just not. And you can imagine that because of the culture that we've been exposed to for all these years, we experience some feelings that prevent us from pursuing self-care. We experience feelings of obligation and we experience feelings of guilt. And these psychological factors, they make it really hard for us to engage in self-care, which is necessary to provide care to the best of our ability to patients. Well, let's talk, what is self-care? Because for me, self-care is, one, actually, it's this podcast, right? It's being able to have a creative outlet that is separate from my practice, separate from my family. Like, it's it's just, it's its own thing. So it lo- allows me to, to toggle away from what I'm normally thinking about and what's normally on my mind. Um, you know, I'm also 
into fitness. So the mm-hmm. the few experiences I get nowadays, um, you know that that's important to me. But that's that's me. What qualifies as self-care? Yeah, so self-care is defined as the practice of taking action, healthy action, to preserve and even improve your health. So that's self-care. And there are different types of self-care. So what you're describing as far as exercise is an example of physical care, physical self-care. There is also emotional self-care, such as the practice of journaling or um, listening to music or playing music or engaging in art. There's also social self-care, reaching out to a loved one, connecting with a peer in medicine. There is spiritual self-care, for example, engaging in in prayer or meditation. And there's also professional uh, self-care, such as setting boundaries with work, planning a day off. So these are different examples of uh, self-care. But you mentioned guilt, right? Anytime I'm not doing one of those things, I... Uh, not, I'm sorry, not doing one of those things, but anytime I am doing one of those things, right? I'm either not working, I'm not, or I'm not with my family. Like in order for me, at least the way my day goes, uh, I have three small kids, right? My oldest just had his fourth birthday and my youngest is eight months old. So they're all, three of them are squished, separated by three years and four. They're all packed together. None of them sleep. So when I wake up, I wake in the morning to when the first one wakes up, which is around six o'clock in the morning. We Mm -hmm. do bedtime, which lasts like seven to eight. In between there, like I wake up, my wife generally gets them in the middle of the night. Sometimes I do as well, but then I let her sleep in the morning. So I get them when they first wake up, eventually hand them off, go to work, come home from work with them, put them to bed. And then like, I am exhausted. So anytime that I'm not with them, right, or I'm not working, there, there is no time. So, so then I have to put them in front of the TV, right? Because my wife's been with them all day. Like she's got all of the stuff she needs to do. She needs a break. Then I feel terrible because, you know, the TV is the enemy. Screen time is the enemy. And American Academy of Pediatrics. You're a terrible parent if you put your kids in front of the screen. So then I feel guilty about it. But mm-hmm. then- I'm not taking care of myself. So how, how do I how do I get past that? Absolutely. So if I may decipher your comments, there's a couple of layers there that I think we need to peel, if that's okay. The one is, quote, I don't have enough time to engage in self-care. We have this impression that self-care is time-consuming. I would argue that self-care can even be five minutes, like five minutes of deep breathing, five minutes of meditation, right? So self-care does not have to take a lot of time. It can even be a five-minute exercise in quiet, in isolation, And those five minutes will actually help you be more effective and more efficient as a father, as a husband, and as a physician. So that's the one thing I want to point out. It's okay to start small when it comes to self-care. We don't have to necessarily have one hour of craft off the bat. That would be nice, but it's okay if we start with five minutes. Now let's talk about guilt. Let's, Let's pivot into that. You mentioned guilt. And what is guilt? So guilt is feeling bad, feeling like you're doing something wrong. And guilt is the difference between what we do and what we think we should be doing. It's the difference between our behavior and our expectations. So in your example, for example, to, to, to decipher the guilt, you're doing all this work as a, as a husband, as a, as, a, as a father, as a provider, as a physician, that's your behavior. But then 
your should is, well, I cannot stop. I should continue to do more for other people and I should not engage in self-care because look at all my responsibilities. So that gap is what creates guilt. And there's only two ways to cope with guilt in order to lower that difference. One is to increase our behavior and work beyond our limits. That's one way to cope with guilt, right? Just to take on and on and on more and more and more. Or to examine our expectations and maybe lower those expectations to a more reasonable, realistic, and sustainable level. When we examine your day and when we say, hey, I, I don't have any time for self-care or maybe I shouldn't engage in self-care because look at all these responsibilities that I have, would, would a few minutes of self-care per day help you be a more effective and efficient father, husband, and physician? So I think at least how it would translate into my day would be basically having pre-scheduled time. Mm-hmm. So like, I would feel less guilty about this if, if we pre-scheduled it. Like, I get home from work with the kids for a half an hour, then they're on the screen for a half an hour, and then we have dinner, right? Like, if that half an hour were pre-scheduled, and that's what our intention was all along, rather than just being like, oh, I'm exhausted. Can we just, can we just put the TV on? And then I feel guilty for not having enough energy for putting the TV on. Mm-hmm. Right? If it was pre-planned, the outcome is still the same, but now no guilt. Mm-hmm. Yes. So a couple things here. Absolutely. So number one, pre-scheduling self-care, that's important to do. What my wife and I do, for example, Sunday nights, we, we, we sit down and we kind of plan the week and we look at any meetings that I have or any responsibilities that she has, and we will allocate time for each one of us as far as self-care. Now, again, it may not be the ideal time slot and it may not be the ideal duration of self-care, but something is better than nothing, right? And when we have these conversations, what we're really looking for is is reciprocity and win-win. When she has self-care and she has more energy and she's more efficient and she's more effective, I benefit and vice versa. When I engage in more self-care and I get to be more efficient and effective, then she benefits. So we're really looking for win solutions when we have our weekly meeting, uh, the two of us. So that's one uh, element. Uh, Number two, as far as guilt, again, let's, let's examine the expectation that I have all this work to do, that I feel guilty putting the kids to, to watch TV. Let me ask you this question. If, if somebody else were to be expressing to you, Brad, that they feel guilty about having their kids watch, I don't know, 30 minutes of TV because they're so drained from being a physician and a husband and a father, would you tell them to feel guilty or would you tell them to, it, it's okay, it, it, it's okay, give yourself permission to watch, for your kids to watch a little bit of TV, but what would, what would you tell them? You're, uh, you're a terrible parent. You shouldn't consider putting them in front of the TV. It's rotting their brains. What are you thinking? No, you know, yeah, it's always, our internal monologue is always going to be worse than anything we would tell our friends, right? If we, if we talk to ourselves the way we talked, if we talk to our friends the way we talk to ourselves, we wouldn't have any friends. I'm fond of that expression. And, and, and I see what you're saying. It's the same in that regard, right? Like, give yourself a break, give yourself a break. And you know what? My wife constantly telling me that it's fine. It's not a big deal. Yes. You're not getting that much screen time. It's fine. Don't be so, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Your expectations are too high. You're already a, a successful physician. Why do you also need to have a podcast? Your expectations are too high. You know, mm-hmm. so this is this is just this is how we work, right? Like you're you're writing a book. Being a, a successful doctor and parent 
wasn't enough. You wanted to do something. This is this is just how our, this is how we got here. This is how we became physicians to begin with. This is our expectations of ourselves. But are they fair and realistic? Do yeah. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Or yeah. are they harsh? So, yeah. for example, if you're going to tell someone, like a dear friend, that you know it's okay if your kids watch 30 minutes of TV. And by the way, my kids just watched 30 minutes of TV from 7 p. Uh, p.m. to 7:30 p.m. So, if 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 it's if you're going to give someone else permission to allow their kids to watch TV then why don't you give yourself permission to allow your kids to watch TV yeah. for, for 30 minutes? Why the double standard? I think it, it's, it's an interesting question that, uh, that promotes reflection and introspection. So I think if we can lower, the, and I apologize, uh, Brad, I think if we can lower the expectation to something a little more realistic and a little less harsh, I think that lowers the difference between expectations and behavior. And I think it helps us cope with guilt. Now, guilt, a little more uh, on guilt. It's okay to have a little bit of guilt. I'm a big fan of Aristotle and uh, his rule of everything in moderation. I think the absence of guilt is problematic. That's how you end up with antisocial personality disorder because there's no moral compass. What we're trying to do is just move the guilt from being excessive and unreasonable to something a little more moderate, a little more realistic. Are there times that I experience guilt? Absolutely. I'm a human being with a moral compass. Absolutely. But I think if we can move move, move, move the guilt to something a little more in the middle, I think that will allow us to make self-care more of a priority because again, guilt is a barrier to self-care. But don't you think that the way that we got here, right? The reason that we are successful physicians, right? We're in one of the most competitive fields, right? We had to be at the top of our classes at, at, at all times. Otherwise we wouldn't be in the positions we're in. That you have to have these high expectations of yourself. And if you didn't have these high expectations of yourself and these times that you're reflecting and saying, I can do more, I should do more, then, then you're going to stagnate, right? How do you juxtapose one on the other? Like not feeling guilty about not pushing yourself, but still pushing yourself to do more and achieve more because that's how we get here, right? That's, that's a great question. That's a great question. There's a difference between I can do more and I want to do more and I want to challenge myself versus I should do more. When w- There's a different feeling, right? Should is, it, it's associated with guilt. It's associated with shame. It's associated with I'm not good enough unless I do A, B, and C. Can and want, it's more giving yourself permission to push yourself to new frontiers and to engage in self-growth and to take on new challenges because you want to see what that's like. So like, for example, myself, you know, you know, I write on the side. I don't write because I should write. I write because I want to write. I want, I write because it allows me to reflect on my thoughts and to really crystallize them. I write because it helps me become a better physician by reflecting on what my patients go through and what am I going to tell my patients. So there's a big difference between I want to do this, I want to do more, and I can do more, and I want that challenge versus I should do more. I see. So you're, it's a subtle difference, but it's I'm satisfied with what I have and what I'm doing and but what else can I do to push my limits? But at the same time, not pushing it to the point where you're neglecting other other things. Absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 approaching life from a state of 
um, abundance from good enough. Yeah. Like what I have, what we have, we're, we're, we're good enough. We're blessed. You know, we're, you know, we have our health. We're, we're physicians. We get to make a positive impact on the lives of other human beings. You know, we, we have our families, like we have these blessings, but it's okay to say, well, what would it be like if I, if I wrote, or what would it be like if I, I took on this challenge? That's a different mindset than I should do more. When you say should, it, it reflects, hey, what you're doing is not good enough. Your behavior, what you've done so far is not good enough. You should do more. You're obligated to do more. Should is associated with guilt and shame. But when you approach it from a different angle, okay, I'm happy with what I got, but you know what? I want this challenge. I want to give it a shot. It's a different mindset. And there's a different emotional experience associated with that mindset. You know, what, what about the pandemic? right? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of physician practices right now, some physicians are having their pay cut, even though they're seeing their risks go up and their schedules get busier. Some people, because people are afraid to go to the doctor, they're seeing their schedules wiped out and their income doing the same and their practices are in jeopardy. I'd like to talk a bit more about the issues as they relate to the situation we're, we're in with the pandemic, right? Self-care in the age of COVID-19. As a psychiatrist, how have you seen things change from pre to post with regards to self-care and barriers to self-care? Well, I'm observing a, a spike in pressure on, on, on physicians. Absolutely. I mean, again, our, our jobs have been challenging pre-COVID. I mean, Last I checked, the burnout rate was over 40% among physicians. And then when you add this global pandemic on top of it, we're, again, we're having pay cuts and a reduction in job security. And many physicians are putting themselves at risk. There's definitely an increase in, in, in pressure. And this increase in pressure is making physicians more, more vulnerable to, to depression, to anxiety, and to other mental health difficulties. And when I say self-care, you know, another example of self-care would be, for example, knowing that you're not alone, not isolating, reaching out to, be, to peers, right? That's another example of self-care, like socially making sure that you're not alone, that you're connected well with other people in the field. In addition, it's, it's, it's not a I understand that like people are putting more and more expectations on us as physicians, but at some point we also have to know that we have limits as human beings. And at some point there, there have to be some boundaries that I'm sorry that I can't take on this extra shift. I, I really apologize. I can't do A, B, or C. We have our limits and it's important for each and every one of us to examine what these limits are because when we go beyond these limits and we're spread too thin, we're vulnerable to mental health difficulties. So this is a life example from my personal life that Saturdays and Sundays, they're, they're devoted to my family. That's when I'm a husband. That's when I'm a father. That's when I, I go to church every Sunday. That's just, that's what's important to me, those roles, those responsibilities. And my work knows that that's my red line. Are there opportunities to work on the weekends? Absolutely, there are. Uh, I could run on the hospital. There's, there's always opportunities to take on more work as a physician, as a psychiatrist. But that's the boundary, you know, and it's my responsibility to acknowledge my limit and to set that boundary with other people and with the hospital, for example. And there may be consequences when you say no. There may be consequences, but you have to be willing to live with that uh, at the end of the day. You have to, you know, at the end of the day, be able to look yourself in the mirror and know that you're being 
true and, and authentic to yourself. So part of coping with this pandemic is boundary setting. Yeah, we've definitely said that in other episodes where our, it's ingrained in us to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when you're in high school, oh, would you like to be involved? Yes. Would you like to do work on the, yes. Would you like to, college, same thing. Yes, everything, yes. Any opportunity you get. And I don't disagree with that because frankly, unless you're working to support your family, you're not that busy, right? Take advantage of any opportunity you can take advantage of mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're that young. But eventually it, it, there, you reach this inflection point and there, it becomes too much. And we've yeah. gotten so conditioned to saying yes to everything that it's really hard for us to say no. And we are reluctant to say no. And there's something wrong with us. And we feel, there's that word, guilty mm-hmm. uh, for saying no. And I think we have to give ourselves permission to say no. Um, and, and one phrase that I like to repeat is, there gets to a point in your life where every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Amen. Right? Amen. So if That's you say perfectly yes said. to rounding on the weekend, you have to also say no to seeing your family. So you have to sit there and look your children in the eye and say, I am choosing to round in the hospital rather than hang out with you. Doesn't that and hurt it, when you say that? That yeah. stings when I hear that. Yeah, right? So Doesn't that so, hurt? Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you can't quit completely because you have to hang out with your family, right? Like you need to make a living, right? Like there's there are boundaries to that as well. There are boundaries to your family as well. But I think we all need to give ourselves permission to just, just say no. And at least in my life, I've gotten to the point where I say no with a capital N and a capital O and an exclamation point afterwards and maybe bolded and underlined as well. Yeah, and what I like to tell my patients and fellow colleagues is that no's are unavoidable and we get to pick the recipient of our no. You know, you can say no to um, an employer, to work, or you can say no to your family or you can say no no to self-care, but the no is unavoidable. Someone's going to get a no from you. But in the way we're ingrained as, as, as physicians, you know, based on over a decade of training, is that we, it's easier to say no to your self-care. It's easier to say no to you as an individual than to a spouse or the hospital administration, right? Continuously saying no to yourself, eventually it's going to come at a cost. Uh, when we're spread too thin beyond our limits, anxiety is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. It's, it's, it's unavoidable. At some point, we have to take ownership of our no's. And they can't always be directed at ourselves, but they have to be directed at some other people, right? Here's how I look at boundaries. I think of boundaries as a fence, and that fence has a gate. And what, what does a fence do? It, it defines ownership and responsibility. So a physical fence tells us, you know, Brad, where we can mow the lawn and where we can plant flowers, you know, in our properties. And, you know, that gate... It's one of the few things that we have some control over. And we close that gate by saying, no, no, I can't take on this extra responsibility. Thank you for the opportunity, but no. And we open the gate by speaking up and asking for help. Like boundaries is a two-way street. We can either say no or we can ask for help, which is also very hard for us as physicians. Because again, our culture, the culture of medicine is that, yes, I got this, put it on my back. You know, I'm going to engage in these Herculean and heroic efforts to go above and beyond uh, for everyone else. So for us to, to be humble enough to say, you know what? I need some help here. I need help from my spouse. I need help from the hospital. I need help from a peer. That's really hard for us to do. But it can be insidious, I think. Mm-hmm. The, the point at which you're sacrificing your own self-care, right? How, how do you know you're there? 
it, it, it can sneak up on you. Yeah. Are there any signs we should be looking for to know? Because we might be, you know, bopping along in our life. Everything's good. You know, every, every, well, you know, everyone's got their own stuff that they want to work on. But like, you might think, no, I'm not neglecting my self-care. I am. I am taking care of myself. I'm taking care of family. I've got everything at work. But it might not be the case. If someone was looking from the outside in, they might be like, you're, you're not. You are not taking care of yourself. You are falling apart at least starting to, is there anything that we can look for in our own lives to reflect to see if that's sneaking up on us? Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. And thank you, Brad. It's almost like we drift into a hypnotic state of not taking care of ourselves. It's not like we don't go from 100 to zero. It's one of those slow, gradual processes. It's almost like that frog that's in pot of water and oh, the yeah. water that boiling the frog. Yep. Exactly, exactly. How and that's, do you boil you know, a frog? That's how we've been trained. Part it's part of the culture of medicine, right? It, it doesn't happen overnight. It's 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 years of being ingrained slowly but methodically. So, so some of the symptoms that I observe and what, number one, sleep. If your sleep is choppy or if you're having a hard time falling asleep because you can't shut your mind off or staying asleep or you're waking up earlier than usual because you have all this work to do. So that's an example of not practicing self-care. If you're more irritable, more on edge than usual. Maybe you're snapping at the kids or you know, maybe you're a little more irritable. Your ability to tolerate noise and frustration is not the same. That's another example. If you're finding yourself using maybe some unhealthy ways to cope, you know, maybe we're having an extra drink here and there, you know, maybe numbing our feelings by just playing video games, for example, right? So just, you know, engaging in behaviors that are uncharacteristic, you know, maybe not connecting with like a spouse or our kids like we typically do or with a peer, isolating it a little more. So these are all like signs that, hey, maybe we need to do some work to recalibrate and and, uh, rebalance things a little better. And then if we do figure that out, right? Once we do notice that maybe I'm snapping at my kids a little more, Mm -hmm. maybe I've got some insomnia, in terms of the type of self-care, is there is there an order? And I, and I think the first thing you mentioned is sleep, right? Like in terms of self-care priorities, at least I would think, you know, I know a little about sleep, ear, nose, and throat, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Throat. Yeah, definitely. I would think that sleep would be the number one priority. Like get your sleep in order first before you decide to start exercising or journaling or meditating or like get your make sure that you are getting adequate sleep. Like find mm-hmm. a way to either go to bed or something to, uh, I mean, we're both in situations with little kids. It's hard sure. to do, but like as best you can, first priority would be sleep. Would you agree with that? Or do you feel like there are other priorities or it's different for each person? Yeah, I, I think it's situational. Uh, I, I mean, sleep is important, no doubt, but I think it's situational. So, so for example, f- for myself, my job is very sedentary and I take on maybe some negative feelings and emotions from, from patients as a psychiatrist, right? So for me, that negative energy builds up in me. So I have to release that energy and I have to be physical. So I, I, I heavily rely on exercise four to five times a week. Now for somebody else who's more of an extrovert, but they're feeling lonely and they're feeling isolated during COVID, they might want to engage more in social self-care. Like for example, reaching out to loved ones, you know, scheduling time every day to have adult conversation, right? Somebody who's a little more 
spirit-based, you know, maybe they have a strong faith, they might want to focus a little more on, on prayer, right? So if somebody's a little more into the arts and into the music, they might want to go down that road. So I, I think it's more of an individualized uh, approach. I think it takes a little bit of understanding the self, you know, being... Um, reflective of what you enjoy, what you like, what you don't like, and uh, responding accordingly. So for example, somebody who's, who's an introvert, I wouldn't recommend social self-care. Like they, they need some quiet time, right? They just want to be left alone and, and just uh, be with their thoughts. So I think it's knowing the individual and knowing their circumstances and designing it accordingly. What have you seen from physician colleagues in terms of resistance to self-care and how have you convinced them or how would you go about convincing someone? So if you, if you, if there were a listener out there who said, that's all well and good in concept, but in my life, it's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. I'm too busy here. I'm too busy there. And I said, I know, I know you said, you know, five minutes, it can be five minutes, but then, you know, they're going to, they're going to roll their eyes at that. Listening to this podcast while they're driving home, they see all their obligations in front of them. Have that conversation with the, with the reluctant physician who, who doesn't see these self-care, this self-care as realistic. That's a great question. And it depends on their circumstances. So somebody in our situation, Brad, you know, where, where we're married with, with spouses and kids, I think it starts with communication. I think it involves approaching our loved ones and saying, hey, here's how I feel. Here's where I'm at. What can we do to allocate some time for me and for you so that we can both be a little more efficient and effective? Because again, whenever we have a conversation with a loved one, we're looking for win-win solutions, right? We're looking for a solution where there's reciprocity. Uh, we're looking for um, empathy, for really understanding our partners and for helping them be the best version of themselves. So in, in my situation, your situation, I think it would start with communicating with, with, with our significant others. For someone else who, you know, who maybe is alone, is single, really looking at their day, writing it out, like reflecting on the, the day, the week and saying, Really, I cannot find five or 10 minutes of even doing some deep breathing or some meditation or to listen to some music. I mean, within, you know, we're, we're awake, what, 16, 18 hours a day. We really cannot find 10, 15 minutes to engage in self-care. I guess I really want to challenge that. I find that hard to believe. And if we can't find 10 or 15 minutes, it's proof, it's evidence that we're really spread too thin, that we're not setting boundaries. Like if we can't find 10, 15 minutes of time to put fuel in our tank so that we can continue to serve, serve patients, serve our families, serve the community. We're off balance. There are no boundaries at that point. We've been saying no to ourselves too much. And uh, is there anything, to wrap this up, is there anything that you would want to say to our audience with regards to self-care that is, that is specific to COVID-19, to practicing medicine and social distancing and the, the risk that we're putting ourselves in. And we're, we, are, we are spread too thin. We're more stressed at work. We're more stressed about our finances. Like everything in our life that was stable is now unstable. Yeah. The risks are higher. The stakes are higher. Life has just gotten a lot harder. We're distanced from our friends and family. Like we're, this, is, this is really tough. This is really hard, right? What, what would you say to us? I mean, you've really given us a great message, which is 
find the time, make the time, you're worth it and you'll be better for it. And I love that. But um, as just a parting message, what would you say to our listeners? Well, the first thing I would tell them is thank you. I mean, you know, the, the majority of us, you know, we're, we're con- continuing to be front lines and continuing to serve patients during a difficult time. And I just want to say thank you to everyone for their hard work. Um, number two, we're, we're dealing with a pandemic. And again, the pandemic means that there's loss, that there's change, and that there's uncertainty. And it's a very difficult cocktail. And because of that, I think it's okay for us to acknowledge and validate that this is really hard and that there are, you know, there are going to be rough days for, for all of us. Whenever there's uncertainty and change, anxiety goes up. Whenever there's loss, depression goes up. So to, to expect not to have some difficult days or um, you know, maybe an increase in, in stress or, and depression for all of us, I don't think that's realistic. You know, This is a really difficult time and I think it's okay for us to acknowledge that. But what happens when we acknowledge that, there are studies that show that when we express our emotions, it takes a lot of the intensity, the teeth away from that emotion. It really does. The act of validating and the act of expressing and saying, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. To even be able to say that, to identify the emotion and to express that, studies do show that it takes a lot of the edge off the emotion, away from the emotion. And number three, again, when it comes to self-care, it's, it's each of our responsibility. You know, we talked about boundaries and boundaries mean ownership and responsibility. And we have to take that ownership, each one of us individually. That self-care, like my self-care is my responsibility and Brad, your self-care is your responsibility. And we really have to take ownership of that. We really have to be to take, assume that responsibility. And we have to engage in these conversations with peers, with loved ones, even with employers, if we have to, to set those boundaries and look for win-win solutions that will promote our self-care and which will ultimately make us better physicians and better partners and better parents and better members of our community. Well, thank you. That's that's really a lot of great advice for the physician audience. And I know after we're done with this interview, I'm going to march upstairs and have a conversation with my wife about where we can both schedule in. She's not a physician, but she definitely, you know, uh, the kids are home all the time, right? There is no health, there is no childcare right now. So uh, we we both need to be sure to schedule our own self-care and, and not feel badly for parking the their little tushes in front of the TV while we yeah. while we take care of ourselves. So so thank you for giving us permission to do that, and thank you for all the work that you're doing. Where where can people find you online? Um, people can follow me on uh, Twitter. My handle is uh, at Dr. Demetrius MD, where I express my, uh, my 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 different opinions. I'll publish some articles on there as well. Uh, so that's a good starting point. And again, Brad, I really want to thank you for the opportunity uh, to to be on your podcast. And I really want to congratulate you on the really good work that you're doing. This the work that you're doing is very important. And uh, keep it up. Keep up the great work. Thanks. I appreciate it. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.